Congratulations, Shinji. Congratulations, Shinji. Congratulations, Shinji. You made it through the first half of the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's right. Last week, we reached the halfway point for the entirety of the Dead Sea Scrolls as translated into English. Can you believe it? We got that stinking far through the Dead Sea Scrolls and we still have a whole lot to cover. But now that we've gotten through the community rule, now that we've gotten through their quote-unquote psalms, their liturgies, their prayers, their greatest hits, their astrological calendar, their quote-unquote solar calendar, we can now get into their histories and apocalyptic works. We are getting into the stuff everybody finally wants to get into. Then after a little bit of that, we're going to get into their wisdom literature, their biblical quote-unquote interpretations, and then some of their apocrypha, and we will be done. Should be done within the next couple of years or so. <laughs> but for now, it's time to see if it really is as interesting and kooky as the uh, Evangelion series would have us believe. So... Our first thing to read here is the Apocalyptic Chronology, or Apocryphal Weeks. Starts with a dot dot dot. Okay, I'm not too excited yet. Determined End. And afterwards will come the fifth week. 480 years after the exodus from Egypt, Solomon built the temple. It was destroyed in the time of Zedekiah, king of Judah. It was restored by the Levites and the people of the land, Final stage, dot, 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 king of the Kittim. Unfortunately, we don't have more of this calendar here. Maybe not a calendar so much as a historical timeline of how everything went before the Qumran community was established, but also everything that was supposed to come after according to their predictions, what they thought was going to happen. But Maybe as we get in through here, we're going to see what they honestly thought the future held in store. Here is from Historical Text A, or Document 4Q248. In Egypt and Greece and dot dot dot, therefore they shall eat dot dot dot, their sons and their daughters in a siege in dot dot dot, and the Lord shall cause his wind to pass through their courtyards and dot dot dot, he shall come to Egypt and sell her dust and dot dot dot, to the city of the temple, and shall capture her with all her dot dot dot. And he shall turn against the lands of the nations, and shall return to Egypt, dot dot dot. And when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, dot dot dot, when all these come into being, the children of Israel shall return. Okay, so by eating their children in a siege, that is a reference both to Deuteronomy chapter 28, in which eating your children during a siege was seen as an outcome of rebellion against God's covenant, and that actually happened when the uh, Israelite city of Samaria was besieged by the, I believe it was the Syrians, Syrians of the Midianites coming up against them during the reign of King Jehoram of Israel. So, here the Qumran community is predicting that everything that happened to them is going to happen to Egypt, at least. It's probably also going to happen to the nations, quote-unquote. You might substitute Gentiles or historical enemies of Israel in that. They're going to say, everything that happened to us, it's your turn. 
Egypt. It's your turn, Babylon, and it's most definitely your turn, Greece. It's going to be falling right on your head. It could be, however, that this is more of a catalog of the deeds of Antiochus Epiphanes, who did, you know, ram through Egypt, do his thing there, and he squashed the people in Jerusalem and in Judea after the Persian Empire had been defeated and Alexander had died. So we're not exactly clear on whether this particular fragment is historical or apocalyptic. Given the worldview of the Qumran community that we've seen thus far, it's probably a mixture of the two, as we see when we move on to the historical text C through E. It's formerly called Mishmarot C. One fragment says the priest, dot dot dot, Yohanan to bring to, fragment two, Shalamzion. Okay, already we're confused, but bear with me. Text D to give him honor among the Arabs on the ninth of Shabbat, that is, dot dot dot, which is the twentieth day of the month, dot dot dot. Shalamzion came, dot dot dot, to oppose. Hyrcanus rebelled, dot dot dot, to oppose. Dot dot dot, fragment three, of the Kittim killed, dot dot dot, on the fifth day in the week of Jediah. This is, and we move on to text E, in the week of Yehezekel, which is something, Aimelius killed, dot, 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 in the seventh month, dot, 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 the week of Gamul, dot, 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 Aimelius killed. And, of course, there is a really teeny tiny historical text, F, that just says, to kill the multitude of men, dot, 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 Potleos, and the persons that. Okay, we sound pretty darn confused, don't we? Well, let's clarify what this text is really getting at here. The Kittim, typically in the understanding of the Old Testament, Kittim is the area around Cyprus. Some people might tell you that the Kittim are the Romans. Why? Well, there's a theory that the term Kittim actually comes from ancient words for the Hittite Empire, later on kind of plastered onto the Assyrians who had taken over those lands. At the time, Kittim was a real place when Qumran was writing. It is on the east coast of Cyprus, so I believe it is a term for the Greeks themselves. But there is something to be said about this used to be the term for the big evil empire of the day. Let's put that in as a stand-in for Rome as a euphemism in case these documents ever get read by the wrong people. It's a euphemism so that it is to be interpreted by the community, and they would be more open about it in secret. And now these are real people involved in this little miniature history here, Yohanan being the uh, Hyrcanus, and then you have John Hyrcanus actually brought up in his rebellion here. Shalomzion is probably Salome Alexandria, uh, Alexander Janaeus's wife. You have uh, M. Aemilius, the governor of Syria, being brought up. So these are kind of a chronicle of real things that were happening at the time with just a mysterious reference to the Kittim, who may or may not be the Romans, but are probably just the Greeks, given that Cyprus is a Greek area by the time the Qumran community is writing about it. So there's a little bit of normal history here. But in the same collection here, we have the Triumph of Righteousness, or 
mysteries, as it was once called. We have a clear idea here that they did have some apocalyptic connections between the past, present, and the future. Remember, apocalypsis just means revealing. And typically, apocalyptic literature covers past, present, and future as the book of Revelation does. So we read here the triumph of righteousness, all so that they might know the difference between good and evil, the mysteries of sin, dot, 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 all their wisdom. They know not the mystery to come, nor do they understand the things of the past. They know not that which shall befall them, nor do they save their soul from the mystery to come. And this shall be the sign for you that these things shall come to pass. When the breed of iniquity is shut up, wickedness shall then be banished by righteousness as darkness is banished by light. As smoke clears and is no more, so shall wickedness perish forever and righteousness be revealed like a sun governing the world. That's S-U-N, not S-O-N. All who cleave to the mysteries of sin shall be no more. Knowledge shall fill the world, and folly shall exist no longer. This word shall surely come to pass. This prophecy is true, and by this may it be known to you that it shall not be taken back. Do not all the peoples loathe iniquity? And yet it is spread by them all. Does not the fame of truth issue from the mouth of all the nations? Yet is there a lip or tongue which holds to it? Which nation likes to be oppressed by another stronger than itself, or likes its wealth to be wickedly seized? And yet which nation has not oppressed another, and where is there a people which has not seized another's wealth? So this first section here, this is in multiple fragments here that we have the quote-unquote triumph of righteousness, that we do start to see the more famous light and dark comparison that Qumran honestly doesn't really deserve. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, you're always going to be hearing about the sons of light versus the hordes of darkness. Light versus darkness, we're so creative. Like, that didn't start with Qumran. But because they had the mindset of, we are so extremely correct that everybody else has to die. They are going to obsess over light and darkness. And their apocalypse here is going to be based on, well... Everybody we don't like is darkness, and they're going to die. Even if they say they're seeking righteousness, they're not really. They're all fakers, instilled with the spirits from Belial that God chose for them. And so the light one day is going to prevail, and everybody who engages in the mysteries of sins is going to die and be punished forever. They're going to bring this up a lot. And I mean it, they're going to bring it up a lot over the course of the scrolls. But moving on here to the next fragment from the triumph of righteousness or mysteries. And what shall man be called? Dot, 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 wise and righteous, for man has no dot, dot, dot. Nor concealed wisdom save the wisdom of wicked and cunning in the design of dot, dot, dot. A deed that shall not be done again except the word of his maker. And what shall a man do, dot, 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 who rebels against the word of his maker? His time shall be expunged from the mouth of all, dot, dot, dot. Listen, you who hold up truth, dot, dot, dot. Eternity in the plans of existence and the thoughts, dot, dot, dot. Every mystery and establishes every plan. He is the author of all that is to come. He is from before eternity. He is his name forever and that's it for this fragment. It seems like they're trying to 
explain at first why all these nations, why all these groups are seeking truth and righteousness and none of them are finding it. And instead of going to, well, here's the problem with Eden, here's the issue with original sin, here is the two kinds of righteousness and why we don't have the better kind outside of Jesus Christ. Instead of that, the writer of the triumph of righteousness kind of switches gears into a sermon saying, you don't get it. My God is omnipotent and decrees everything. You don't understand unrighteous people. You don't get it. So, um, I mean, what are you going to do? Can you stand before my God? He just changes gears. He code switches from here's the situation to uh, here's why you're bad and weak. It makes it seem a little bit like this whole document was originally supposed to be a sermon. Well, either that or it was supposed to be some sort of teaching or lecture on their eschatology, on the nature of the world, and the author just couldn't help himself. Kind of the same way that St. Paul launches into the doxology, Romans chapter 11, just launches right in there because what other words can he provide? Moving on to the next fragment, though, and this one's a little bit better preserved. The sorcerers, experts in sin, have uttered the parable and proclaimed the riddle in advance. And then you will know if you have considered... and the attestations of heaven... Your foolishness for the seal of the vision is sealed away from you, and you have not considered the mysteries of eternity and have not comprehended understanding. Then you will say... For you have not considered the root of wisdom, and if you open the vision, it will remain shut from you. All your wisdom for the dot 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 is for you dot dot dot. His name for what is the hidden wisdom? More condemnations, but more Gnosticism. Wow. You were going to know these secrets, but you're a bad person. You have the bad spirit in you, so you're not going to know the salvific knowledge that we know... You know, <laughs> what a condemnation. You're going to open up this scroll and it's going to be like blank to you. But I have the secret code of how you're supposed to touch the vellum scroll so that when it opens up, the super moonlight text comes out. And I know it, but you don't because you're a bad guy. Okay, Qumran, let's move on to the next fragment here. I will cause my spirit to flow. And I will divide my words for you according to your kinds, a parable and a riddle. And those who search for the roots of understanding together with those who hold unto the wonderful mysteries, dot, 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 those who are silly and the scheming men for all the accomplishments of their actions. And that's it for the triumph of righteousness. It's interesting that he brings up sorcerers, experts in sin, in the previous fragment, who bring up parables and proclaim riddles, but then he says, no, 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 no. I am going to cause my spirit to flow, and I'm going to give you a parable and a riddle that isn't from an expert in sin, a sorcerer. You might be tempted to say that this document was written in the first century as a response to what the Christians were saying because, well, Jesus spoke occasionally in parables. And remember, it did not take long for anti-Christian apologetics to claim that Jesus was a sorcerer. The Toledot Yeshu and other documents claim that he was some sort of mystic or sorcerer that went rogue. 
He couldn't deny the miracles in the eyewitnesses saying, here's the guy that Jesus cured of his leprosy. Here's the guy that used to be blind, but Jesus gave him his sight. All these people were still alive in the first century for the most part. And the eyewitnesses saying, yeah, we were there. There were thousands of people that knew about Christ healing others. So mystics in Judah oftentimes would say Jesus was just a sorcerer. The Pharisees were happy to say this sort of thing. Gamaliel supposedly said that. And I wonder whether this was written in the first century to claim that, well, that's because he was just a sorcerer. He was an expert in sin. And after all, those guys are always talking about parables and riddles and everything like that. So let me tell you what the real parables and riddles are. Just a thought, just a theory that that's probably when this was written. It's something of a response to those Christians. Again, Christianity shows up in the first century with the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. At Pentecost, all this preaching and stuff happens. And obviously, opposing groups that don't want to be Christian are going to come up with various ways that they're going to try to oppose it, especially doctrinally. And unfortunately, though, they don't like saying the names of their enemies very much. <laughs> Not until a little bit later when we see the Talmud talking about Jesus, when we see Toledot Yeshu and everything, when all of that stuff happens. Early on, at least for Qumran, you're not going to see names. You're not going to see names named because their biggest enemies, especially the Romans, they're going to revert to euphemistically. But let's see if they maybe had a little bit of a more positive message than just, You're bad! You don't understand God! Or the secret knowledge that leads to God! Let's read here from the, quote, Time of Righteousness. Fragment 1. It's the only fragment there, but it's labeled Fragment 1 here in this book. And the stressful constraint and the ordeal of the pit, and they shall be refined by them to become the elect of righteousness. And all their wickedness will be blotted out because of his loving kindness. For the age of wickedness is complete, and all injustice has passed away. For the time of righteousness has come, and the earth is full with knowledge and the praise of God. In the days of dot 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 has come the age of peace and the precepts of truth and the testimony of righteousness to make one understand the ways of God and the might of his deeds forever and ever. Every dot 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 shall bless him, and every man shall prostrate himself before him, and they shall have one heart. For he knows their recompense before they were created, and has assigned the service of righteousness as their boundaries dot 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 in their generations. For the dominion of righteousness, of goodness, has come, and he shall raise up the throne of the kingdom, and intelligence is greatly exalted. Prudence and soundness are tried by his holy design. Okay, this is a little bit of a picture of a fuzzy, foggy idea of what happens at the eschaton, when all the good people are there, and God establishes his rule, and there's no more bad stuff dominion of righteousness and goodness. And then we move on to the renewed earth here, where it says, He has chosen Zion, and in righteous life, dot, 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 and they did forget his precepts and did not seek them. And the land, dot, 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 his hands in the midst of them and explained to them all the laws, dot, 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 all the earth, so that there will be no more guilt in the land, nor will be, dot, 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 destruction and all hatred, and the whole world will be like a moth. 
and all its inhabitants, dot, 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 and the land will be at rest forever, and its inhabitants will, dot, 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 and they will become a beloved son if they will seek all of it and righteousness. Okay, so we're getting a little bit of a clearer picture now on how they thought things were supposed to go. They have the war scroll, where they believed it will be incumbent upon them to kill all of their enemies, everybody that is not like them, to slaughter all of them, and then, and then, with these two scrolls here, we have the idea of a cleansing of the land, namely Zion, Israel, Judah, Jerusalem, all of that. They have a, what you might call a nationalistic eschatology, where they believe that the end state, the goal, the promise here is for them to be a country again that has everything they want and everybody there is perfectly righteous. Whether there's any survivors or not for the rest of the world doesn't really matter to them. They're not big picture thinkers when it comes to that, except, well, everybody we don't like is going to die. And then we will have Zion as it ought to be. It's, it's a mishmash of politics and religion, really. A hyper-nationalistic idea here. Uh, again, appealing to their school shooter theology of once my vengeance is complete, then uh, good stuff, good stuff will happen and my school will be a good school again. Seems to be their message. <laughs> but that leads us to a question. Where's the Messiah in all of this? If the eschatology of the day was always proclaiming a messiah and the Old Testament had prophesied a messiah and Qumran just loved the Old Testament as much as they mutilated, twisted, and mutated it, where, where, where's the, all the messiah? Did the messiah store run out of messiahs? Well, the next fragments here called a messianic apocalypse, that gives us a little bit of a clue as to what they really thought. So their fragment says, The heavens and the earth will listen to his Messiah, and none therein will stray from the commandments of the holy ones. Seekers of the Lord, strengthen yourselves in his service. All you hopeful in your heart, will you not find the Lord in this? For the Lord will consider the pious, or Hasidim, and call the righteous by name. Over the poor, his spirit will hover and renew the faithful with his power, and he will glorify the pious on the throne of the eternal kingdom. He who liberates the captives, restores sight to the blind, straightens the bent, that's of course from the Psalms there, and forever I will cleave to the hopeful and in his mercy, dot, 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 and the fruit, dot, 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 will not be delayed for anyone. And the Lord will accomplish glorious things which have never been as he, dot, dot, dot. For he will heal the wounded and revive the dead and bring good news to the poor. Of course, that's from Isaiah. He will lead the uprooted and make the hungry rich. Fragment 7. The earth and all that is on it, and the sea and all that is in it, and all the ponds of water and rivers, dot, 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 who are doing good before the Lord, like those who curse and are destined for death when the life-giver will raise the dead of his people. And we will thank and proclaim to you the righteousness of the Lord, who... Dot, dot, dot. I almost want to say that this is another first-century text before the Qumran community more or less was disbanded, and I don't think it's fragmentary. 
I really don't. I mean, there obviously are little cuts and nicks in here in the scroll that makes it difficult to see where the author is saying one word or another, but I honestly don't think it was ever finished because they bring up the Messiah, something that is woefully, woefully missing from the war scroll, their big victory scroll on how they were going to win. They bring up the Messiah once. And supposedly there's fragment two and there's fragment seven. Everything else is just totally illegible. They don't talk more about the Messiah. They just don't. Maybe later on they will in their interpretations of the Bible or in their little additions and subtractions, but those are probably all from earlier texts. This guy here starts writing about how, oh yes, there's going to be healing. The poor are going to have the good news taught to them. They are going to have the hungry going rich, meaning, oh wow, there's something for them. And I bet you anything, in the midst of writing all of this, somebody went, hey, um, dude, this sounds like Jesus. Dude, are you writing about Jesus? Because that guy that died over there in Jerusalem a few years ago, why are you doing that? That's not, that's not the Messiah we wanted. Come on, what are you doing here? And I bet you anything this guy cut it short in response to that. Now it is true that the whole Messiah ben Aaron and Messiah ben Judah or Messiah ben David idea, the dual Messiah theory does come out of the Qumran community in the Dead Sea Scrolls. 100% true. But they don't like getting into details on that because it oftentimes sounds just a little bit too much like Jesus. Jesus Christ, by his very existence and everything he said and everything he does, just obliterates Qumran's theology. It absolutely decimates it, turns it into dust. And the moment anybody starts talking about the Messiah, well, look, all those prophecies, everything in the Old Testament really only can apply to Jesus. He's the only one that squares that circle that fulfills these prophecies. And if you're a politics worshiper, if everything in your mind is, I want my own country, I want it to be a nice country, I want all of my enemies dead, and I want super purity forever and ever and ever, and if you're always flirting with Gnosticism and stuff, and you're flirting with this worship of the law, this hyper-Pelagian idea, you're not going to want to hear about Jesus. And you're not going to want anybody in the congregation to raise up his hand in the middle of a reading and go, Hey, wait a minute. That's Jesus. That's why there's certain congregations that, uh, like the Old Testament, uh, they will skip over Isaiah 53. They just won't read it. They'll read through all of Isaiah except for Isaiah 53 out of the fear that somebody goes, hey, wait a second, pierced for our transgressions, that's Jesus. <laughs> and suddenly now you have all this controversy in your synagogue or in your uh, Islamic congregation or whatever. This kind of thing happens. And Qumran is one of those communities where, well, it's pretty easy to see the signs of that going on. But that is enough for today. Starting next week, we are going to try to fly through their wisdom literature, which I believe isn't fully just wisdom literature. There is some mysticism in the wisdom literature of Qumran and some interesting encoded kind of things that we can get into and dive deep into. But for the normal stuff after that, uh, we're going to have to read pretty quickly. Because after that, we are going to look at more of them butchering the Bible. And after we get through that, we are going to get to their uh, apocryphal texts like 
the giant scroll and stuff like that. Anyway, until next week, amen and amen.